when you're looking at that particular um, episode there in narrative, you realize that you're looking at the emotion that's involved as you read scripture and you see what is happening in that episode. Today, I'm not, I'm not interested today to share about the history of the statue, but I want to talk a little bit about Daniel and his position of resolve in the midst of this cu culture that he was in, a foreign culture, a foreign territory, a foreign people, a people that he didn't understand that he was getting to know, but God placed him for a specific reason. And here was Daniel in this situation where we saw in chapter 1 when we started this series last week called Resolved, he was a determined individual who recognized that God put him there for a purpose to influence and impact the greatest king to live at that time who overcame Egypt and became the ruler of all rulers, the king of kings. And when we think about that, we see that he, we know in chapter 1, verse 8, we talked about it last week, that he was purposed in his heart, he was determined in his heart, he was resolved in his heart to move forward because he knew God was doing something there. He did not want to defile himself, pollute himself in a culture that was obviously polluted toward God. And he wanted to make sure that he kept himself pure in every way. And so we see Daniel in that, in that situation. But now as we transition from chapter 1 into chapter 2, all of a sudden this unexpected moment came about. He was starting to settle in, and then God intervenes and allows Nebuchadnezzar to have a dream. How many times in our lives have we have when we have unexpected moments? They can be simple one each day. It can be something we can look back in our lives. Uh, meaning an unexpected moment might have been when you first laid eyes on your husband or your wife. That was an unexpected moment. You didn't know at that time that you might meet the person that you were going to live with for the rest of your life. Or an unexpected moment was when you didn't know when you were going to first kiss them. <laughs> and it came out that you had that first special kiss together, knowing you were going to spend the rest of your life with this person. When you're, the unexpected moment could be that... Um, you know, you thought you were going to fail a test and you ended up getting an A on a test. That's happened to me quite a few times. Or when, um, you know, your sibling who normally doesn't say anything nice to you when you're a little person or a little kid and all of a sudden they say something nice and you're like, what's up with that? Because they're being nice to you, like they want something from me. Well, that can happen in your marriage too. But what happens is, or when you're playing competitive sports, and you're not sure you're going to make the play, and then you make it, and everyone's cheering for you, and you're like, what in the world just happened there? Or when you won an award and you didn't expect it. Those are unexpected moments. But when you have unexpected moments that are not so good, when you're almost cut off in traffic, that's an unexpected moment. When you're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden someone just slithers right in and almost takes out your life, and you're like, wow, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, when you thought that something was going to happen. Or when you're traveling and your child vomits in a car on your way to school or church or to work, uh, that's an unexpected moment. Or you forget your report at work, you lose a deal and possibly your job, or you just get laid off. That's an unexpected moment. Or it even might even go so far as that 
your elderly parent falls down. And now the unexpected moment is you have to care for your elderly parent and your whole life changes in just a moment. Or the one that's so tragic you never want to hear is when you get diagnosed with a disease or cancer that is terminal. Or lastly, you might just find out that you wake up the next morning and your mom or your dad or someone else has passed away. Those are all unexpected moments. Now, we can't think that as tragic as those sound or as kind as those other ones sounded, Daniel was in this particular situation where there was an unexpected moment and God intervened. Now, at the moment when God intervenes, an unexpected moment happens. It seems so tragic you never could look for the future and wondering what's going to happen. You can't think about what's going to happen. You're thinking about at the moment it hurts really bad and it's painful. And so here is Daniel. He hears about this call where we see that Nebuchadnezzar is so upset, furiously angered, it says in the Hebrews. There's two words, very angry, very furious, and it's interpreted furiously angry. It's because he's beyond himself to imagine he's had this horrible dream, can't interpret it, wants his wise men to do it, and then finds out that they can't. And then in this unexpected moment, he finds out, Daniel, that his life is about to end because someone couldn't interpret the dream of a king. And the king says, I want you to interpret it without me telling you, which then the wise men of that, of that particular kingdom said, it's impossible. Only the gods can do it. Now here God allows, he intervenes, he allows for an unexpected moment. And then he begins to unfold the story by saying, it's only a situation that God can intervene and take care of. Meaning nobody can take care of it like God. In fact, it's impossible for man to enter into another human and figure out their dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar, led by God, his servant, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, I'm not doing it like the other way. We're going to change the play. You're going you're to tell me what my dream was. And here we see in the scriptures right quite clear that they said that as you saw that on that video. But he says it in the scripture. By the way, that depiction of it was truly scriptural. And he begins to become so furious that they couldn't answer it that he brings out a decree and he says, you will all die unless you interpret this. But here's where it's just amazingly overwhelming for me. I, I think about this because now here God is setting it up to make it only possible for him. But here's Daniel now, and it says in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says that then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Eric, who was the, in charge of the king's executioners. One, it says guards, but really that in the Hebrew means executioners, those who kill. And who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He inquired and the king's duty, and he says, why is the decree from the king so urgent? As you saw that. And then Arioch said, informed Daniel about the matter. Why don't you come with me? So he said, Daniel went in and requested the king to grant him time that he might disclose the interpretation to the king. Now you got to understand something. Entering into the presence of a king was not something to take lightly. You enter into the presence of a king and you don't have an answer for him, he could pretty much command you to die. You don't enter into his presence with a false idea of what you can do. You don't go in there 
saying, oh, let me buy some time here. You see how he reacted. The scriptures are clear. He said, you're doing this just to gain time. I don't think Daniel's intention was to go in there to gain more time. Daniel's heart was too convicted for that. Daniel knew that he was representing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was representing the God of Israel. He would not waste his time to go in the presence of this foreign king who could kill him at any moment, which already the command was for him to die. And here was Daniel, determined in his heart, purposed in his heart, resolved in his heart to be courageous enough, to be confident enough and convicted to say, I will go before this mighty king and say, give me time. There had to be some crazy confidence in Daniel to believe that God was going to use him. You and I have to understand that God wants to use us in ways that are in the impossible, not something that is safe. God doesn't want his people to waffle. He wants them to be strong and resolved. But only God can do that through his vessel. See, Daniel was an empty vessel. If you go back to chapter 1 when he said, I do not want to defile myself before God. See, to me, not to be defiled is to be cleansed. It's to be holy before God. It's not saying perfection, but it's a passion to say, God, I want to be cleansed. God can use that vessel that is cleansed. God's power, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, can only be used at the level when we allow ourselves to be used before him. God wants a vessel that is clean because when you and I are falling into mistakes and sin and unintentional sin, God, the Holy Spirit, convicts us so we can be cleansed. That's sanctification. So when we're walking with God, we're walking with a heart that's passionate for him, a mind that's fully set on him, not on other things, but set on him, on his holiness, with a passion to say, I believe God can do this through me. But we lose that faith, we lose that belief system when we grieve and quench the Spirit of God. See, that's why Daniel understood that. He understood that I must be. Now, you have to understand something. When he's seen a foreign land where his people are far away, where the temple's no longer, and he's sitting there, it would be easily compromised to say, well, my mom's not here, my dad's not here, I don't see the temple. I don't see the Levite priests. Maybe I could just slip in a little bit of sin here. Maybe I could just give in. I'll give in to this king. I don't want to die. Daniel didn't have that heart because the cleansing of his heart, the passion, the purposed heart, the resolved heart says, I will die for the, for the Lord. If it means my life, then let me die. Because he would rather die knowing his heart was passionately seeking God rather than trying to save his own life and compromise. That's a resolved heart. In fact, that's a heart of resilience. When he was prudent, uh, the scriptures in reference to what it's saying here is that he was one that it was appropriate, it was suitable for him at that time to, to speak up. It was suitable for him to speak up before this mighty king. And I appreciate what one of the commentaries says to me uh, when I was studying. It said this. I had to even quote it. It says, the ability to keep calm under severe shock and pressure, to think quickly and exercise faith in a moment of crisis, these are the aspects of prudence and discretion seen here in Daniel. Meaning the idea is that it's, it's the idea of resilience. In fact, resilience means this. It means, the, it means, the definition means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. 
They even say babies are generally far more resilient than new parents realize. The synonyms are strong, tough, hardy. Also, it it gives another idea of of a definition. It says able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending and stretching and being compressed. Flexible and pliable are the synonyms that we think of. So here's God using Daniel to be able to be resilient through this very difficult, shocking moment, what we call an unexpected moment. His life was before him. And he presented it as the only option. So what are, what are some qualities that we look at in Daniel so effective to be resilient? One is the courage to face crisis. That's number one. He was courageous. He wanted to face this crisis, and he wasn't afraid. Can you imagine when the king said, you will die? I won't even give you any time. You will die. But thankfully, God intervened and allowed Nebuchadnezzar to say, I will give you till dawn. And Daniel was resilient in his heart, was strong enough to say, I will present this before my God, believing he will give me the ability to interpret this and the ability to go before the king and give him the proper answer. He had to read his mind. That's impossible. But he believed God. He was courageous enough to face this crisis. How many times when we see a situation in our lives we know is impossible, but only possible with God, and yet we don't seem to muster up enough faith or the courage to say, God, I want to believe you to get me through this. What stops us so often? The time and the effort? The energy? What if this doesn't work? What if I'm reading into it too much? Maybe God's going to stoop me here and he's going to get me in a corner and now I'm going to pay for this. Or is it that when we're cleansed as a vessel before God, the empowering of the Holy Spirit so speaks to us, so moves in us that he challenges us to say, trust me on this one. Trust me, I will do a work here that will blow your mind. Here was Daniel, set in his ways, believing. He was courageous too. He was confident in the Lord. God revealed to him an interpretation, but he knew that God was going to use him. Why? Because again, the cleansing that was occurring there in his heart. When you and I don't defile ourselves before the Lord, the Lord wants to use us in ways that will blow our minds. Three, committed to the call no matter what, even to the point of death. So what did he do in verse 17? It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. But I'll tell you this, I've got to stop and say, I believe in Daniel was concerned for his life, but I think he was more concerned, in my, my opinion, he was more concerned about the testimony that God had here. That here was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of Israel, who had an opportunity God was using his, his servant, his prophet, for an opportunity to show forth and reveal himself through his prophet to this so-called earthly mighty king. And here he was moved, and he went on and said, verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered to him. So what did Daniel do when Daniel received this interpretation and God revealed it to him, what did he do? One, he praised God. When was the last time you and I praised God 
for revealing something in our lives that was so cool? Are you praising God? Am I praising God? Are we lifting him up? Or is it that we get so pessimistic, we try to figure out the future and we forget to just praise God for his mighty hand in our lives? Secondly, he presented himself before the king. He was courageous enough to say, I've got the answer. I'm going before the king. Now, he has the answer, but he still doesn't know it's going to match with that dream. So he had to still have that courage and confidence to believe that God gave him that dream to go forth. So again, he had that confidence. Now, you and I know this story often, but you got to think about it. How much in our lives, when we're not sure at times whether we're confident enough, courageous enough to do something when God speaks to us to do it. Or when he tells us to go courageously to some other brother or sister in Christ and tell them there might be sin in their lives and do it because of an act of love. Or courageous enough to tell our spouse about something in their lives. Or courageous enough to talk to our children. Or courageous enough to talk to a friend or a coworker or whatever the case may be. We have to have that confidence and courage. When God tells us to do something, we must follow through and do it. Lastly, what did he do? He proclaimed God as the revealer of the mystery, not himself. So he gave God the glory, not himself. That would seem to be pious, gracious, but he believed it. He lived it. And so how did, how did the king respond? We know how the king responded. But see, this is what we have to understand when we see this, because God is doing a work in the life of Daniel and revealing himself to Daniel as he's revealing himself to the king. See, when you and I go through these challenges and these struggles and these difficulties, we often don't know what's ahead of us. But God is preparing something ahead for the purpose of being a witness to someone else, a light to someone else before us. But we'll never know unless we go through the trial and the difficulty, unless God instills in us a resolved heart and a resilient heart. Because a resilient heart is one that when we stay and we seek the Lord and we trust him and we rely on him, then he begins to reveal things in our lives moving ahead. We had a time in our lives, I don't know if I share it with you, it was back in 2008. Uh, living, when, after coming out of seminary, we had to go through a time where God put, put me as a contractor and I had my own business. Did quite well. But with the business of contracting, you can be up six months, down six months. And those up six months are truly enough to pay your bills, maybe put a little bit away, but not enough for those next six months. And so what you do is you try your best and you pray and you seek God, but you can be up nine months and down three months and hurt yourself because the up is just enough to pay your bills. We were at a time when we had a really good year in 2007, but then 2008 started, and as you know, the economy went down. It started to go down quickly. People said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that project in my house that I told you about. All of a sudden, I just started seeing all these jobs get away from me. Even one particular job, there was a $10,000 job that just was out of my hand. So I sat there and I said, wow, Lord, that was the job I was counting on to get the next, through, through the next t- you know, two months. My wife wasn't working a whole lot. All of a sudden, within two weeks, we saw crisis. Unexpected moment. <laughs> I looked at my account. I had no savings. I had $20 to my name. And I had a lot of bills. Went to church, turned my back, started talking to the assistant pastor, and tears were going down my eyes said, I don't know what to do. I think I got to sell my house and move to Connecticut. I didn't know what to do. And I began to pray 
as like Daniel, I just began to pray. I said, God, I need you right now to come through. It was, we didn't know what would happen, so we began to pray. We cried out to God, and I stashed away some Home Depot gift cards just for this kind of day. Well, who's going to buy them for me? <laughs> you got to find another contractor, but they're down on their work. So Lomo, I grabbed some of them, was able to, to sell them off for food, told the church. They were able to help us out a little bit, not enough to get us through the month. Cried out to God. Said, Lord, you got to come through in ways. I'm, I mean, I've seen God come, you know, in seminary, you see that. But this was, I've never been down this far. In a matter of three weeks, God rescues us. But how does he rescue us? My wife, all of a sudden, out of the blue, gets jobs. She gets people calling her with, as an independent contractor. And her, her, her jobs come up. Then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I get called next door, right behind us alleyway in Texas. There's alleyways in between houses. And my next door neighbor comes over to me and says, um, I have some money now and I want to build my fence out here and I really want a nice fence. And I was like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And I saw and I saw God saying, I'm providing, I'm providing, I'm providing. And all of a sudden I write out an estimate and, and the Lord provides enough to get us through the next two or three months along with some other jobs. But it was, it was striking because at that time, I, I, you don't know what the future was. But it was another testimony of God getting us through. But he taught us to remain, to stand strong, to be resilient, to not give up on him. It was a crisis moment. We've had many of those, but each one was still as much as a crisis as the next one. And many of you can relate to that because if you're older in age and you've gone through those periods of time where you didn't know where your money was coming next... God continued to show himself worthy and show himself to be the provider, Jehovah Jireh. And you learn and you grow. So God was revealing himself to Daniel and he was revealing himself to this king. But Daniel, here's the thing. Daniel relied on, on God and he, and he leaned on God and he said, God, I'm going to believe you. And when he presents this interpretation, he trusts God and the interpretation is perfect, as should be because it's from God. But then the response is, will blow your mind because as you see, you saw it there in the, in the clip. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell down on his face. See, they didn't do that. I wish they would have done that. But that's accurate. He fell to the ground. Now, wait a minute. The king of kings of Babylon fell to the ground. It was homage, worship. That's the word in Hebrew, worship. A king who is powerful and mighty would never do so, fell to the ground and recognized that this so-called God that Daniel serves and loves could reveal a dream that only God can do. And then you see, it says this, it says, he fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. But the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. We know that he's revealed, but Daniel says, it's not me, he goes. Daniel goes, it is not I. High honors and many great gifts may, may offer to you. But Daniel prior to this said, it's not me, it's God who revealed this to me. In verse 49, it says, Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Here's what the unexpected moment happened. Daniel has a resilient heart. 
the unexpected moment comes, and this is what happens. A tyrant king of the greatest and most powerful kingdom of the earth came to see the creator God at work through his servant Daniel. That's one. Two, a tyrant of the greatest and most powerful kingdom on earth pays homage to Daniel's God. Impossible, but yet only possible with God. And this is just the start of it. But small steps, because Daniel had a resilient heart, purposed in his heart, ready to go, strong and sturdy, flexible, ready to go and hit any crisis in front of him. Three, a tyrant king, of the, the greatest and most powerful king on earth, rewards Daniel by making him an administrator over all the other wise men. Here he comes in as a rookie. In a matter of one incident, he becomes the manager or the overseer. This is what God can do, but it had to happen through an unexpected moment. It had to happen where God had intervened and given him this terrible dream. It had to happen where even the king was so angry he wanted to kill every wise man. It had to happen where there was a crisis. It was crazy, and it would only be possible that God can intervene and do the actual possible act of resolving this. But God, the last two things, the Lord opens a door of influence in his kingdom. God in the theocratic kingdom presents himself to a so-called Babylonian kingdom. God uses his servant, works through him, and now all of a sudden there's influence greater than ever. The Lord opens a door of impact in the king's life. So ask this question. When God allows an unexpected moment in your life, how do you respond? Do you respond with resilience or resistance? If resistance, what's in your life that needs to be brought before the Lord? See, remember I talked about it last week. It's not the situation around you or I that stops us from being used of God. That's what God or what the enemy tries to do to stop us or slow us down. But God is not allowing the situation for that purpose. He wants to cause in us a resilient heart, a determined heart, a resolved heart. What does the Lord need to work on so that you and I can be cleansed and ready to serve him in the area of influence? See, it's not about what we have to tackle. I mean, the unexpected moment of a family that I read in, a magazine, a missionary magazine, where an unexpected moment happened where a wife goes home and sees her husband and two children killed. Missionaries from South Africa in a, in a foreign country. She loses her whole family. House burnt down, shot and burnt down. An unexpected moment that changed her life. But she and her resilience remains in the Lord, believing God still wants to use her resolved in her heart, determined that God still has a plan for her life here on earth. Not giving up. Yes, very painful, probably wants to give up and die, wants to be with her family, but she said God still has appointed her for a purpose. What in our lives that God wants to do that causes resilience and that resolved heart, no matter what the situation if there's a crisis in your life, if there's a crisis in a church, or if there's a crisis in your family or in your own particular life, God wants to do a work. See, God wants you and I to be an influencer. 
How do you remain resilient in time of crisis? You pray. You cry out to God. You seek him. You depend on him. You rely on him. You say, God, I can't do it, only you can. Just like Daniel said, this was impossible for me to do. If you and I can get to that place when we say it's impossible for anyone to resolve this situation, only God can. That's called desperation, a good desperation. It might kill your pride, it might kill your arrogance, it might kill everything about you, but it's a place where you learn to depend on God. Those times in my life when I know I can't do something, I rely on God, God does the impossible. I shared with you sometime before when I saw a car that I had that I shouldn't have had financially on my bills, and I cried out to God and said, get rid of it in the name of Jesus, and three weeks later, he gets rid of it. I can't explain it, but I knew in my heart, I was saying, God, I know it's impossible for me to get rid of this car without losing three or $4,000. And then three weeks later, he gets me three or 4000 in my pocket. That's the only thing that God can do. But that's nothing to compare what God can do when he can cause someone to forgive another person for killing their sibling or their loved one. Like when in November I showed you that story of Matthew West with the forgiveness and the whole meaning of that particular story. When someone, a woman, had compassion and mercy upon the person who was drunk, drove the car, and killed her daughter. She went out and loved on that man, cared for him, and now they're, they're close like family. Only God can do that. It's impossible for man to do that. It's impossible for man to forgive another man if, because forgiveness is divine. It truly is. Where in my life I had to forgive people that wronged me, people that have spoken against me, and yet I smile in their face and tell you that Jesus loves you, I will forgive you. Why? Because the Bible tells me if I don't forgive you, God won't forgive me. Then I lose my relationship with God, then I'm not a cleansed vessel, and I can't use that power of influence that God wants to use me in. God wants to use each one of us for that purpose, but we have to be resilient. We have to be flexible. we got to take it for the team. we got to take a shot on one cheek and on the other. Back in my day where we were walking in the streets, you don't take a shot, you give shots. But God has taught me in my walk with God, I have to take shots. But then God gets the glory. But I'm not a doormat and I'm not a punching bag. And neither are you. But we're called of God to do that. So I want to encourage you today. What can we learn from this particular situation and episode of Daniel? Can we learn that we get, we're called to be resilient? Can we learn that we're called to be a people of God used of him? I think that's the greatest thing we can.